theology. Well, what I want to look this morning is that what's the one here specifically doing and then generally what genealogy does for us. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. And yes, we're going to read it all this morning. This is chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when, he crea- when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Adam lived were 930 years and he died. One of the unique things that you're going to see in Genesis chapter 5 that you're not going to see in other places of the Bible. So in this genealogy you're going to see something you're not going to really see in other places of the Bible. And one of the things are going to be is the ages, right? I mean this morning you're going to see ages of uh, 910, 895, 962, 969 years old. And we go, well how are we to understand this? How are we to understand these ages? Are they, do they count years differently? You know, is it like, oh, they count weeks as years. So really that was 900, there's, there's 900 weeks. Like, ah, I don't know. Or they, are they figurative years? You know, there's this kind of like seasons maybe. How do we count the years? Because our, our mind has a real hard time coming up with this idea that, they, that somebody would live 900 years. And I guess partly for me is that People freak out about these. They go, oh my gosh, 900 years. Impossible. And so I guess part of me, I don't, I don't freak out about the years. They don't, they don't really concern me so much. I'm going to give you some reasons why they don't concern me. And I know people that, that freak out and they go, oh, this is the Bible. Like they, they talk about the 900 years and they, they freak out. And so I, I don't, I don't. And, and one of the reasons why I don't freak out about the years is because at the end of the day, I tend to give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. Right? Tend to. I do. And so when the Bible says something, is like 900 years, I understand those to be literal years. And that doesn't really bother me. You go, that's a really long time. I go, yeah, it's a really long time. I think that's one of the reasons why they're making mention of it. Like, it was really long. And, and, and I love to give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. So often we come to the Bible and we go, well, unless I can understand it, I'm not going to receive it to be true. But here's my problem, is that there's been far too many times in my life where I come to the Bible and I go, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know if the Bible's right on this one. And then time proves to be that the Bible's right and I'm wrong. But you know what's never happened? Time has never proved me right and the Bible wrong. I tell you what, I go, I live a life long enough, you live a life long enough, and that keeps on happening. The Bible's right and you're wrong. The Bible's right and you're wrong. The Bible's right and you're wrong. The Bible's right and we as a culture are wrong. The Bible is right and maybe even science gets it wrong and science comes back and says, actually, we think it's this way. I mean, there have been times, I mean, you can do archaeological digs where they go, well, the Bible's wrong because there wasn't a city there. And then 10 years goes by, and I'll actually take that back. There was a city there. We found the city. We found the city. Turns out the Bible's right. And so I've just, I've lived, I've lived a whole long, but I've lived long enough at least 
to come to this place where the Bible has turned out to be right and I've turned out to be wrong. And so in those places, I'm going to go, you know what? I'm just going to assume it's right and I'm wrong. The other thing is I want you to know is that this is prior to the flood. So this is, there's a lot of things that are going to change as we're going to see next week. There's going to be a lot of problems that unfold in Genesis 6. This is prior to the flood. And I'm really okay with the world being different than prior to the flood than after the flood. In fact, actually we're going to see that there is, depending on how you translate it, but there's a limiting of the age. And so even, even the author, as, 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 as Moses was writing this down, he understands this is crazy. And I think if Moses didn't think that it was, it was somewhat little, he would have changed it. He goes, well, it wasn't really 900. Let's put something that makes more sense so that it's believable. Because, but that's not the story. And so what it tells us is that, is that yeah, that there was something, there was something that was going on before the flood. Then the flood happens, and then things change. I'm okay with that. In fact, which is kind of the third thing that I think about is like at the end of the day, God gets to do what he wants to do. And that's, I go, the, only, the reason we even live one day is by his grace. The reason we'd even see one year is by his grace. And so what if he wants to let somebody live 900 years by his grace? And it's interesting because people go to the, that 900 years, that's unbelievable. It's scientifically not proven or not, not true. You go, well, it's scientifically maybe not true now. We're talking about now. And, and, and by the way, if, 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 if what you, when you read Genesis 5 and, and your issue is with the ages, you go, well, can't believe the Bible because of the ages. Spoiler alert, in the gospel, the dead start rising. And I've got a much, I mean, that's, that's much more difficult for me to, to wrap my head around than like 900 years. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. The dead start rising. And we say, well, science says that that can't happen. I go, you're right. Science says that can't happen. And not only did it was Jesus raising the dead, but Jesus himself raised the dead. And to somebody who's maybe starting to read Genesis 1, they get to Genesis 5 and go, I got a problem with the ages in Genesis 5. I'm like, spoiler alert. It's going to get worse. And I'll tell you this. If you believe in the resurrection, there's no reason you'd have any problems believing in 900 years. But if you don't believe in the resurrection, then yeah, I, I could see how you would doubt the 900 years. But the 900 years, the 800 years, that's not the issue. The resurrection is the issue. And so, and by the way, on this, if I get to heaven, God's like, oh yeah, those were just figurative. I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. I mean, I said something changed my faith at all. Like, what? My, but my faith was built on those were literal years. And so, but I just, I tend to take them as literal. Long years. And what it says is that, that Adam lived these long years and that he, he fathered Seth. Now, he had, he had fathered Cain and Abel, but then it says when he fathered Seth, it was in his own likeness and in his image. So that God created humanity in his own image. And then Adam and Eve, at some level, he entrusts this, this creative ability to Adam and Eve to say, now you get to create. Remember when it says, I think, but part of this, this idea that he's created us in his own image means that we get to take on things, some of the things that he does. And one of the things that he does is he, he, he creates. There's something inside you that loves to create, that loves to even be creative. 
I go, that comes, from, that comes from God. You know why? Because you've been made in the likeness of God, who is the creator God. And when we decide to create things, to be, even be creative, at some level we reflect our origin. It's interesting because this last week I, I got up my fall decorations because it's time. And by the way, it's supposed to rain tomorrow, so you're welcome. Um, and, you know, I've got my fall decorations. You know, I try, I try to be creative, try to, you know, bunch the pumpkins up, you know, make them look nice and, you know, put little things there. And I feel pretty good about them, put on my little door wreath that's Nightmare Before Christmas, so that's cool. But I'll tell you who shows zero appreciation for it, which is my dog. You know, I put all of this stuff up. I try to be creative, and Bogota, she couldn't care less. Why? She's a dog. She doesn't get creative. She's not creative. That's not who she is. Brings me joy. People come over, maybe brings them joy. Why? Because we are created in the image of our creator, and we love to be creative. And then God says, you get to now go out, and what I want you to do is I want you to create. Now you're going to create, I created you in my likeness. By the way, you know that God could have just, he could have continued to keep creating humanity out of the ground. He could have done that, but that's not what he did. And so in what he did, he says, now Adam and Eve, you have the responsibility. You have the capability, but you get to create now. And you're going to create what's in my likeness and in your likeness. Which is, by the way, why we believe that all, like, all life has equal value. Why? Because all, all life, all life, from, from conception to death, all life has been created in the image of God. That's why we believe that all life is equally valuable. That, 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 that you no more reflect the image of God than I reflect the image of God. In that sense. And so all has equal value in the valuable sense. All has equal value. Which is interesting because right now we live in a world where actually people believe that. We go, that, that all of humanity is created equal. And you go, yeah. So you go, so no matter, no matter where you're born, yep, equal value. No matter what social class you come from, yep, equal value. No matter your age, yes, equal value. But I'll tell you this, you, you push that question out, you ask them why. Why is that true? Outside, in a secular world, why is that true? Why does all humanity have equal value? Well, just it, because it is. You know, okay, okay, okay. But outside, out within that, why does all human life have equal value? I don't know. Christianity comes along and says, because, because we're created in the likeness of God. Because you're an image bearer. I'm an image bearer. And so you have, you have equal value in the kingdom of God. And so it says that he created him in his likeness. Now here's the, there's an upside to that and there's a downside to that, right? And part of this idea is that Adam begins to create in his likeness, which is what we see at the fall, right? Is that Adam falls and then, then the sinful nature comes in. And so now what, the only thing that Adam can, as we would say, beget is that he would, he would create others in his likeness. That is this pairing of the image of God, the shattered image of God, but then also a sinful nature. This is why we see Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. That's why what we're going to see from this, this point on is a lot of brokenness. Why? Because we have all been created not only in the likeness of God, but in the likeness of Adam. 
That's why Romans tells us, you know, in Adam all sinned. Through, through one man's unrighteousness, all became unrighteous. And so then Adam begins to create in his likeness. That's why even you, you may be frustrated with your sinful children, your sinful children. <laughs> but at some level, they are created in your likeness. And so it goes on. And here's where it really ramps up. <laughs> when Seth lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 900, or sorry, 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel, was 70 years, he had kids young, evidently. <laughs> 70, who does that anymore? <laughs> Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years. And he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and after other son, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Now there's something that the Bible will do. We're going to pause here for a second because there's something that the Bible will do. It sets you up sometimes. It'll go repetition, 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 something different. Repetitions, repetition, 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 something different. And what it wants you to draw to is not actually the repetition is what we think. Repeat what you want to be known. Actually, what it's trying to draw you to is something different. So when you get to something different, it goes, whoa, this is different. And what we see here is we see basically lived, fathered, died. Lived, fathered, died. Lived, fathered, died. And we get to Enoch and it goes, lived fathered, walked with God, and God took him. doesn't tell us much about Enoch, but it tells us something about Enoch. And what I find most interesting with this is that he only lived, he only lived 365 years. You would think, at best, that's like 500 years less than anybody else. And, and, and in this context, you go, Enoch died young. 
For anybody who thinks that, like, like, like if, if you follow God and if you, are, if you are righteous before the Lord and you are faithful to Him, He will let you live a long life. I go, well, actually, we get five, we get five chapters into the Bible. I'll tell you, that's not true because we have just people who live, who live a really long life, and then somebody comes along who says that actually that God just took him, was really faithful, and God says, and he's going to die young. You go, that's, that, that says something. It kind of melts some of your paradigms to think like, oh, but, but wasn't he walking with God? And yeah, so maybe the long life, long life wasn't the blessing. Maybe the short life was the blessing. Maybe the longer life wasn't the grace. The shorter life was the grace. And so we see something different with Enoch. And then it goes on. And when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. And he died. And little did Methuselah know that he would be a part of Bible trivia forever. Like, who's the oldest man in the Bible? It's Methuselah, 969 years. You know, I think that... uh, that some of these other ones were like, man, if I only would have lived like, you know, seven more years. <laughs> Chair thinking, if I only would have lived seven more years, I would have been tied. And so what do we see? I think about like one of the things we, we, we see about this, this, this genealogy. So what, do we, what do we take away from this? We, we look back on this and go, so, so what? There's a lot of things that it tells me. And the first thing that it tells me is that where, where you come from matters. Right? There is a big market right now for people to figure out where where'd you come from? You take a little swap, mail it off. Where'd you come from? Big money. Where'd you come from? Maybe you're a kid and the car one day says, Mom, Dad, yeah? Where'd I come from? Like, oh no, oh no. We're not, we're not ready for this. Uh, we're not ready for this question. We were not, this is not in the book. Like, where did I come from? Why? There's even something from, like, really, like, where do we come from? Where we come from, where we come from matters. And, and I think one of the, the beautiful things of the Bible is, is this is where you, this is where you come from. Actually, even when we read back in Adam in Genesis chapter 3, we go, that's, that's me. That's what the Bible actually tells you. This is where you've come from. This is like your, your story of, of origin. In fact, actually, I even think that Genesis is some level, like Genesis, the whole book of Genesis is some level a prelude to Exodus. How do we end up with all these people called the Israelites and slavery in this land called Egypt? How'd that happen? And so really, Genesis, which is Moses's, where the story of Moses begins, right? So then Genesis really is like, well, let me start from the beginning. There was nothing, and there, but there was God. And what we see is the story unfold. Why? Because how we ended up with all these Israelites, people these called Israelites that were slaves in Egypt before we get to the land of Israel matters. And then what happens in the land of Israel matters. And where you come from, it matters. Your family of origin matters. And it matters. And this is the second thing that it tells me. The second thing that it tells me is not only that it matters, but that we're all like connected generationally there's so much divide right now between the generations as if we're these independent generations that are just 
um, existing independently and autonomously against all the other generations that are around us. You go, well, we don't. Like, generations don't exist in a vacuum. I mean, I think about, like, right now, there's a, there's a big, it seems like there's a big fight between uh, the baby boomer generation and the millennials. And I feel like the Gen Xers, which is what I technically am, just kind of like we fall in between, like, hey, can't you guys get along more? Like, why are you guys fighting? And baby boomers are thinking like, because baby boomers really are who are the parents, a lot of times the parents of, of the millennials. Baby boomers are looking at the culture and go, well, I don't know where did this come from, where did this happen? I go, well, they're your kids. You tell me. And to, just, just to give you like an example of how this stuff works. So, so technically, typically the baby boomers would have worked really hard at a job that they hated for several years to put food on the table and put lots of hours in at a job that they hated. And then here come the millennials, and one of the critiques that they'll have on the millennials is they don't want to work. They go, yeah, what do you think happened? They watched you put in 80 hours of work at a job you hate. And they said, I'm not going to do that. You go, well, here's what's going to happen. is the rejection of that. The, if, if, if all you do is you live the rejection of the generation that goes before you, if that's all you do, you're going to end up with another set of evils. Right? And then the generation that comes up behind them is going to say, oh, yeah, well, you know what? Mom and dad, they, they never worked, and they, never, they, you know, they just got by, or whatever it would be. And then they're going to reject that with something else. And so what we see is that we're all sort of connected. And this is what the Bible says, generation after generation after generation. And yet God tells his story through generations. The stories come, and then somebody was born, and then somebody was born, and then this, was story, this is how the story is going to unfold. Do you know that God didn't have to tell his story through generations? He could have done it any way, and yet this is how he decides to tell it. The other thing that it tells me is that there's this smallness of man. I love it. I mean, you think about this. So many of their lives, these guys, and by the way, many other sons and daughters. So people are like, yeah, I was actually one of the sons. I was mentioned in, in, in two words in the Bible. I was one of the other sons, other sons, or other daughters. But even the, the ones that are mentioned in, in Genesis chapter 5, you go, they got, one, they got a, like a couple lines. That was it. They lived 900 years, and they got a couple of lines. You go, there's something about the smallest of man. Yeah, oh, by the way, this guy, he, he, he lived, he fathered a child, he lived some more years. And then he died. Oh, and then by the way, somebody up, came up behind him. Yep. And then he lived. And then he fathered a child. And then he lived some more than he died too. Oh, and then by the way, then another guy came by. And then he lived a little bit. Then he fathered a child. And then, oh yeah, he, guess what? Uh, yeah, he died too. And so it tells me something about the smallness of man. I think what if my life was just, was just boiled down to like a couple of words? The simplicity of it. I mean, doesn't life seem so complicated sometimes? You go, but what about all of the stresses? It said nothing about his worry about putting food on the table. It said nothing about the fact he didn't like his job. It said nothing about all of the struggles of his life. It said nothing about the illnesses that faced him. And yet we think that's what life is filled with. All it says is that he lived, fathered a child, lifts a little bit more, 
died. And then I think that with the genealogies, it's the smallness of man then, then like set against the largeness of God. And guess who's still there? God. Another 900 years past, guess who's still there? God. Another 1,000 years past, guess who's still there? God. And I love how God's, he's, he's just summarizing. Oh, by the way, here's, here's like, you know, like 6,000 years of history in the chapter. Mm-hmm. Because actually I could put it in a couple words if I wanted to, but I decided to give you a whole chapter for 6,000 years. And so it tells me that, that not only is man small, but that God is really big. And so we see this generation after generation affecting one another, affecting one another, as we're going to see next week, and then this downward spiral until God interacts. But then we're introduced to Noah. And we think to ourselves, finally somebody we recognize and a name I can pronounce. Right? Verse 30, uh, 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived, after he fathered Noah, 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 770 years, and he died. And after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so, we get to Noah, and then our ears perk up. Like, oh, I know Noah. Which actually tells us something about, like a, like, a genealogy, by the way. Genealogies are boring unless you actually know the people. I'm just going to be honest. Like, unless you know the people. But as soon as you hear somebody you know, like, your genealogy is probably more interesting than other people's genealogy because it, it affects you, right, and people you know. We see this here. We're like, I don't know. Who's this guy? Who's this guy? No, I know Noah. Okay, that's Noah's story. And so what we see here says that Noah was born. And it says that they called him Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful hands of our toil. They called him Noah because they thought he was going to bring them relief. Why do they call him Noah? We, we call him Noah because from birth we thought this is the one who's going to bring us relief. This tells me that the, the, the 6,000 years hasn't been going well. Notice what it doesn't say. We actually, what do we think about when we think about Noah? We think about oh, he's the one that built the ark. He's the one that, that gathered all the animals. He was faithful and righteous before the Lord. We, these are the things we think about. But when he was born, what was the hope that was put on him? that he would be the one to relieve us of our toil and the cursed land. Oh. Not the grandiose things. He's the one who's going to build us the ark. Not the one who's going to gather the animals. But he's the one who's going to bring us some, some relief from the cursed ground. If you remember back into Genesis chapter 3, when Adam, when Adam ate of the fruit, the thing that God says is that God, God says to Adam, Adam, now work is going to be work. By great toil, by great struggle, you're going to now bring fruit from the land. 
And 6,000 years or so, I don't think it was by the way a math equation, but we'll just say 6,000 years. And they go, when will this ever stop? You're born, you live, you die. Repeat, you're born, you live, you die. There's got to be more. You're born, you work hard, you die. You're born, you work hard, you die. There's got to be more. Noah comes along and goes, maybe he's the one to relieve us. And so what we see is Genesis 3 is the fall. Genesis 4, the beginning of murder. Genesis 5, who will deliver us? The big question of the Bible is life is very difficult and partly because we are broken people. Who will deliver us? Noah's born. (gasps) Noah. Noah will deliver us. (laughs) Noah's going to deliver part of the creation. But as we're going to see, as, as, as the hope is put into Noah, he's the one who's going to relieve us. We, we, we think about that story. Like, is he's the one who's going to relieve us? And then I, I told you, like, like, Genesis is sort of like a prelude to, to Exodus. Then Exodus comes up and tells us that Noah's not going to do it. Noah's going to fail. Do you know how we know Noah's going to fail? It's because as Exodus opens up, you know what we find? The, the Israelites in slavery. And what's the question that they're asking? Who will deliver us? Who will deliver us from slavery? And here comes Moses. <gasps> he will deliver us. He does partly, but then he fails. And then they enter the land of Israel. Guess what they find? Struggle. Who will deliver us? Joshua will deliver fails. Fast forward, kings, maybe kings, kings, let's get a good king in here. He will deliver us. Fails. And then Jesus comes along and says, come to me, all you are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you the rest you seek. You see, we think that that verse is put in like when you had a really hard day. You know, a really hard day. Man, it's been a really tough season in life, man. It's been like, I've been working 60 hours, and then I come across, and Jesus is like, hey, you come to me, spend some time on my word, you know, and reflect on me and my scriptures. I will give you the rest that you seek, which I would say, yes, that that is true on a micro scale, but it's much larger than that. There's a macro scale where Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy laden and burdened, who have been working the ground, the soil, and all you have gotten is toil. And for thousands upon thousands of years, humanity has been asking, who will deliver us from this toil? And then Jesus comes along and says, I am the one to give you rest. Was it Noah? Was it Moses? Was it Joshua? wasn't David. It's me. He's the one who took the curse of the ground 
so that we could experience the rest we've been looking for. And by the way, I think this is the ultimate point to all of the genealogies. You go, why are the genealogies in the Bible? So we can track our family record? Oh, that's, that's a good point. That's good. But I don't think that's the reason why they're in the Bible. The reason why all genealogies are in the Bible is to do what? To point us to Jesus. How do we follow the line from Adam to Jesus? That's what we want to know. How do we get from Adam, who we are, to Jesus, who we're created to be like? And all of the genealogies are going to take us from Adam to Jesus. Which is why when, when guess what? When Matthew opens up, do you know what it does? It, it starts, it starts with, 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 with the genealogy. And you know what the genealogy does? Leads us to Jesus. And then when Luke, when Luke does genealogy, you know what he does? He starts with Jesus and then leads us, walks us back to who? To Adam. Why? Because the genealogy is put there so we can trace the story from Adam to Jesus. Adam, who we find ourselves to be more like, Jesus, who we've been called to be like. And the genealogy leads us there. And just to further my point, do you know what we don't get after Jesus? We don't get genealogy anymore. Why? Because the genealogy has been fulfilled. Now, you may trace your family record. That's great. That's good. That's wonderful. And you should. Those are nice things. That's not why it's in the Bible. The Bible puts in genealogy to trace the path of salvation from Adam, the one who's created the need, to Jesus, the one who will fulfill the need. And once the genealogy does that, gone. Do you notice we, we don't get, and then Peter beget, and then lived X amount of years, and then he died. And then St. Augustine, he, he had, and, and, then they, and then he died. And then who, we, don't, we don't get that anymore. I'll tell you what we do get, though. We get, and the Spirit of God gave birth to. And the Spirit of God gave birth to you. And the Spirit of God gave birth to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, and to you. And that's the genealogy we've been following for the last 2,000 years. Why? Because we are all now in Christ, sons and daughters. We don't follow the line as much as we are hubbed around the Spirit. And so the genealogy, familiarly, it leads us from Adam to Jesus, the path of salvation. And once the genealogy has been fulfilled, we're called to faith into the family, not by line, but by spirit, because we belong now as sons and daughters. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good and true, and we thank you that the genealogy has been pointing to you. It shows your your desire to work through humanity shows you your ability to work through us and your power to do it. We thank you that you, Jesus, have fulfilled the need of salvation created by Adam. We thank you that you have taken us in the likeness of Adam and called us into the likeness of yourself. 
We thank you that you have taken the curse of the ground, a life of, of struggle, and you've, you've promised us rest. Not a life free of struggle, but you have promised us rest. For you have taken on the curse. We thank you that your word is good. We thank you that your word is true and your word is rich. We thank you that we belong to you in family now. Not by necessarily a physical birth, but by the spiritual birth. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.